A big buzzword these days? D-E-I. What is it? The first thing that I remind people when we talk about DEI is that it's actually three words. Diversity, equity, and inclusion. Diversity, equity, and inclusion. Are you promoting men and women at the same rates? I think across corporate America, almost inevitably, the answer is going to be no. This is the Language of Business, a podcast to inform and inspire entrepreneurs. Anyone thinking about a startup or a small business looking to rebound from the pandemic, hear about strategies that work and strategies that don't work from people who've been there and done that. I'm executive producer Don Kelly. Our host is Gregory Stoller, Harvard MBA and senior lecturer at Boston University Questrom School of Business. This episode is part two of our look at racism in business and what DEI programs at Mintz Law in New York and Google are doing to combat it. Here's Greg Stoller. Thank you, Don. DEI is a hot topic in almost any industry and law firms are certainly included in that list. We're on location virtually, of course, with Nargis Kakalia of Mintz out of New York and welcome to the Language of Business. Thanks so much, it's good to be here. Good to have you here. Nargis, is DEI practiced differently at a law firm? Law firms are sort of like a, a loose federation of states tied together only for one core purpose, which is the practice of law. And so you have to overlay diversity, equity, and inclusion framework over that core purpose and then sort of drive it out into the different sections of business units to make it work. I imagine it's different in corporations, but the defining principles obviously are the same, which is to make sure that every employee, every vendor, everyone has an equal opportunity to succeed. And when you talk about different divisions, are you talking civil versus criminal within Mints, or are you talking different Mints offices across the country? I am talking about the former, but it's a lot more than just civil versus criminal, right? So we have, we might have immigration or corporate or litigation or employment work. So across all of those, but then also we have so many administrative departments in a law firm. The recruiting team needs to be diverse and our business management team needs to be diverse. So it's really across the board. And when you say across the board, is it the same at say the Boston office versus the New York office? It's tricky because in each of our markets, we have populations that we want to mirror, but the population is by definition different in Los Angeles than it is in Boston, right? but we're mindful of the fact that the populations are different and they have different needs. So we might have more women in one office, which is great, but we might not have a whole lot of people of color in that office or vice versa. And so you sort of try to balance all the different needs. And where is the focal point? Is it for your colleagues or for your clients or perhaps for both? It's definitely both. Diversity, equity, and inclusion isn't just something we do on like a Tuesday, right? It's sort of a way of doing business. And so we try to do business that way because it's the right thing to do, but also because our clients demand it of us. It is employee-focused, but it's very much also client-focused. It's sort of a Venn diagram with diversity in the middle. But yet people who have legal challenges don't necessarily fall across a bell curve. Are you intentionally looking to recruit different diverse clients? Because you never really know who's going to come through the door, right? Yeah. Let's parse out what our clients look like. So we have some individual clients and obviously they have their identity, whatever that is. But then we have corporate clients. So for example, we might represent a bank or an insurance company, a pharmaceutical company, and they have 
tens of thousands of employees, but they also have customers. Healthcare pharma company is looking to see who's buying their products. Who are they selling to? So they're going to want to represent their end customer in their demographics. And when they're represented in their demographics, they're going to want their vendors like us to represent those demographics as well. It's kind of a cycle. Do you ever see a new division of mints being dedicated to advancing diversity, equity, and inclusion, but from a legal lens? Yes. In fact, we've started thinking about that. There are so many issues that come up, and we already work on them, out of mostly out of our employment section. But there are things like internal systems audits, right? Is our promotion pipeline for a corporation, is the promotion pipeline truly neutral? Is it gender neutral? Is it race neutral? Those are services that we already provide to our clients. But there are also things that we're thinking about and fine-tuning and making better every day internally. So yes, it's very much a part of my practice. Very interesting. How do you think internally you're going to measure your success over time? Measuring success is so complicated because change doesn't come quickly. And it's a long, this is the long play. It's a long-term game. Measuring diversity, which is really just checking to see if we have sufficient numbers of people from certain demographics, that's kind of easy. How many Asian American employees do you have? How many Latinx employees do you have? How many Black employees do you have? How many white employees do you have? How many women? How many men? How many LGBTQ? That's sort of simple. What's harder to measure is equity and inclusion. Are you promoting men and women at the same rates? I think across corporate America, almost inevitably, the answer is going to be no. If a certain person of color community is 10% of the population, are 10% of your leaders within the form of that population? The answer almost inevitably is no. So trying to figure out why those disparities exist and measuring success in fixing and addressing those issues, that's difficult, but we're working on it. And then inclusion is sort of that level of belonging, making sure that people feel comfortable coming into work every day and raising their hand and contributing. That's also difficult to measure, but we're working on it. And how about externally? If you have too much of a type of corporation in column A and not enough in column B, I can't imagine that if you're unable to backfill from column B, you're going to start getting rid of clients in column A. But talk to us about that, please. We never get rid of clients. We want all the clients we can have. Not about what our clients look like. It's about what our larger population looks like. That's what we're really striving to be more like within Mints. And the pressure to do that does come from our clients. Nargis, thank you. You're welcome. Nargis Kakalia, a partner with Mints out of New York. Don, back to you. Thanks, Greg. Still to come, how DEI is handled at Google when the language of business continues. I didn't even realize what it meant to be in a top-tier business school until my first day. And I just really, for the first time, felt like I was in a place where everybody knew what was going on and everyone was incredibly driven to study this and perfect this field. And so I think being in a top business school really means that you are finding the barriers and the edges of the field and pushing them a little farther. And that's what Questrom has taught me over the past four years. Questrom's really helpful because you get to not only study the basics of business, such as accounting or marketing, but you really get to dive further in and to see applications of the health sector and how business applies to sustainability efforts around the world. They really want us to kind of focus it on four emerging areas, and those areas were healthcare, security, sustainability, and technology. Those are really where the jobs are going to be. They really want us to come out from the Question School of Business and be able to work in any area of the industry.
You're listening to The Language of Business. We've looked at how a national law firm handles DEI. Now, let's see how Google does it. Back to Greg Stoller. Don, thank you. Google has taken the lead on so much in tech, but does its advantage relate also to diversity, equity, and inclusion? We're on location virtually with Thomas Harwell, who is a DEI liaison at Google, and welcome to The Language of Business. Thanks for having me. It's good to be back with you and talking to you about this topic, which I find so intriguing and is my current life's work. DEI is so much part of our daily lexicon these days. What does it mean to you as an executive, Thomas? For me, the first thing that I remind people when we talk about DEI is that it's actually three words, um, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And each of those words has different meanings and how we apply them to business. So for me, when I'm talking about diversity, I'm likely talking about the collective shared experiences that people are bringing to our workforce or the representation in our workforce. When I talk about equity, I'm usually talking about processes and the outcomes that our processes produce, whether it's hiring or how we develop a product or something like that that sits in some of my teammates' world. We talk about inclusion. We're talking about how people feel at work. What is the work environment they're experiencing, their relationship to their managers, their career progression. And so I think DEI has become a buzz acronym, and I always try to caution people from using it interchangeably because it has a lot of complexity in the work. There are three distinct ideas and concepts that are really important in business today. And so that's what it means for me in the work that I do. You left academia and went directly to Google. How do you write a job description for someone who's a DEI lead? I think we're all still figuring that out. This work has been in the U.S. construct. This work is, for me, different in its paradigm that we're experiencing right now, given all of the things that we're seeing and all the expectations that we as society are putting on business to deliver in the space diversity, equity, and inclusion and holding these outcomes true and core to their mission and values. So I think depending on the organization, the needs of what you need in a diversity, equity, and inclusion officer might look different. Also, I think the great work that you do for the communities that are on the margins of your organization often gets adopted to support your whole organization to make it better. And so in that way, I find this work really fun because it's ever-changing. Once we figure out how to enable or unlock part of our process in one area of the business, we can do that for all groups. And then we sort of continue to refine how that impacts those folks on the margin. So different organizations will need different things from this role. Some folks will need compliance. Some folks will need coaching. Some folks will need how do we embed this into the products that we produce. So it depends on what the mission of your organization is and the value of your organization is for how this work shows up. Let's expand on that. What does it mean to be in DEI in tech? We have a bunch of different DEI folks across tech. And so for some of them, I'll shout out Annie Jean-Baptiste, who's awesome. It's about how do you develop products that are truly inclusive? I think there's an old example for Google out there about just having sample testers of a phone that use their right thumb and getting to the product line and realizing that people who are left-handed can't actually use the product because we didn't have anyone in that test group. So there's product inclusion that we talk about. There's people like me who work in the hiring space and the representation space. And it's how do we make sure that our hiring processes are fair, that they're producing the outcomes that we believe to be equitable across the experiences, that we're not limiting the pipeline of people who have the opportunity to be considered for roles at Google's or other tech companies and how they're evaluated from a hiring manager perspective, that we mitigate as much bias as possible in that work. And then you have people who are focused on the culture of Google. What does it mean for me to be a Black Googler? What should I expect to experience? What do I experience? What are my avenues when I experience things that are really great or really hard? 
How do we coach leaders and managers when we're seeing experiences around the world, but also in the U.S. that are highly visible with regards to race and racism and, and racial violence? How do we coach people through that? What are the exceptions we should make through that? How do we make sure that people are well and able to contribute at work? So this impacts every part of the employee life cycle. It impacts every part of our product lifestyle. And that's why I find it really exciting. An attorney that we interviewed for this episode said that to her, working for a national law firm gives her the ability to sort of compare and contrast what other offices are doing across the country. Google is such a powerful brand. It's got a, such a great name. Having that as your email address when it comes to recruiting for DEI, is that an advantage or a disadvantage? I think it depends on the individual. And that's part of why I love going to meet candidates. I love going to meet people on the road and understanding what it is they're looking for in their next place of work. Um, these big brands, they have a brand that is about solving, that is about resources, right? So people do expect a lot from how we do our processes um, and, and what we can enable for them in their career. There are people who've always wanted to work at a place like Google. So when they see that email, they're extremely excited. I am loving my time at Google. It wasn't a place that I had set out to work early on in my career. So for me, it came with a lot of questions. It meant, how are you all showing up in this space? What do you really expect? What does success look like? What should I expect from working here? Why should I move for you? It also comes with the need for us to respond in kind to people and understand that competing for talent, competing for talented people to join your teams and your workforce is harder now than I think it's ever been. Our world is increasingly global. People increasingly have access to opportunities and choice in how they navigate their careers. And so entire global workforce and peers at other organizations and institutions, we're trying to figure out what that means for how we shape career mobility for people, regardless of the company. I think these are some of the most exciting opportunities in our, in our work. For the other guests that I'm talking to for this episode, the question of measurement has elicited some strange reactions uh, at times. I think the predominant word has been patience. What's your take on it? I have a different P word, it's progress. One of the interesting things to me when we talk specifically about representation and how we approach business problems, sometimes people think we're looking for a solution and that one day these conversations will end. But people are the foundation of how we work and what we do. And so these conversations will continue to persist in different iterations, right? And yes, right now we're having a conversation that has some commonalities across whatever organization you're in, but we have to go back in history and understand the progress that's been made. Sometimes people put a lot of pressure on themselves. They internalize a lot of pressure in themselves to solve. I wanna solve this for my organization in the way that you would make a sale or in the way that you would out a marketing campaign. But the reality is these are people. And so these are things that we wanna make progress on. These are things that we wanna to continually to make better, to make more fair and continue to understand. But I tell my team all the time, our inputs and outputs change day to day because we deal with people who are joining the organization and they will add cultural value and perspective that we didn't have yesterday. We have people who are leaving the organization who brought something that we will no longer have. And we have to always be aware of that and reevaluating our problems and opportunities in real time. When you answered my first question and you said DEI has three portions to it, diversity, equity, and inclusion, I noticed that you didn't use the term racism. How does that relate either directly or collaterally? There are several types of racism. I will just use two examples. 
individual racism, and then institutional racism. When I talk about individual racism, I'm talking about the interaction that might happen between you and me. Maybe it's something as little as a microaggression that impacts my ability to feel like I fit into the culture of the team that I'm on, feel like I'm valued or belong on the team that I'm on. You have some more overt hatred things that might happen at work. I won't go into I think they're pretty explicit in their own nature. But when I think about individual racism, those are some of the things that come to mind. That might be a catalyst for something that teams, diversity, equity, inclusion teams might need to address in the culture. How do we make sure that people in the majority group understand how their actions impact other people, right? Maybe there's good intent, but the impact is not exactly what we want. There's also institutional racism, practices and policies that perpetuate outcomes that are unfair for communities of color. You could take hiring, for instance, and I won't talk specifically about Google, but I'll talk about hiring in the broader ecosystem. And you could say, hey, we're interviewing this many people, and this is the demographic breakdown of these people, and this is how many black and brown people who we hired. And if the number of black and brown people isn't consistent across your, your process, then you might have some institutionalized racism in your hiring process. That might be the catalyst for what you choose to address or how you choose to leverage the DEI practitioners and professionals in your team. If we want to talk about racism with regards to what I think in the DEI landscape is happening, racism or any ism might be the catalyst that causes an organization to take note, to address and create and craft how they want to move forward in this space. You mentioned institutional racism. Is that the same as racism in business? Some of it could be the same. I could have a product that I want to sell you and you could say, no, I don't want to buy it from you because you're black. And I don't know if that would be institutional. That might just be, you might just have a race problem, right? It certainly would impact business, but it may not inherently be institutional because that's you as an individual person making that decision or choice. And so you may have racism in business that is institutional and institutionalized. You might have institutional racism that impacts business, but those things may not be wholly overlapped. Thomas, thank you very much. Thanks so much for having me. Thomas Harwell, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Lead at Google. Don, back to you. Thanks, Craig. And that's part two of our look at racism in business and how DEI programs try to combat it. Support for the language of business is from Boston University Questrom School of Business. The language of business is available wherever you get podcasts or just ask Alexa. We now have downloads in 40 states and 74 countries. We really appreciate the support. Our social media is by Jennifer Powell of the Excellent Writers Group. Music by Randy Barth of Oswee Media Group. Consulting producer Helen Tierney of Happy Accident Productions. Direction, audio editing, and voiceover by yours truly. Special thanks to Mike Carruthers of somethingyoushouldknow.net. I'm executive producer Don Kelly. For Greg Stoller and the entire team, thanks for listening to The Language of Business. 